everybody. Happy Thursday. It is the Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. It is NBA Draft Day. Once again, the Raptors, uh, one of the most interesting teams to watch in one of the most interesting points of the NBA calendar. And you know it's a big day because William Liu is is in studio. Raptor show was 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 live and in person. And uh, yeah. Will, kind enough to stick around for the first segment. How's it going, man? It's it's uh it's it's going well. I uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing who the Raptors actually add at the 13th pick. There's been a lot of speculation. There's always lots of speculation. You never really know what's real, and you also think about it. and You're like, wow, we talk about all these things, but it's like maybe 10 percent of it actually happens. So I'm excited for these days. This to to be a day where something actually happens. Well, that's you know? where I wanted to start. Well, okay. because we talked on deadline day, and yeah, I said the Raptors are one of the most interesting teams mm. going into the. The draft tonight, not, I mean, okay, if they make the 13th pick and who they pick there, and we, we can get to that. And, that's, uh, not it, moving you. that's not moving you? <laughs> it's not really. I mean, the potential exists for them to, to trade up to, to number three, I guess, sure. if the Blazers move that pick. We've heard, like, Pascal Siakam and the Atlanta Hawks. They've mm-hmm. been uh, associated. But we heard a lot of stuff headed into the deadline, Will. Yeah. Nothing happened. They Nothing they, happened. they acquired Jakob Pertl for a first-round pick, which was, yeah, mind-bending at the time. Um, since then, we, we've had a coach firing uh, and a uh, rookie coach hiring. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 skeptical. Like I, I'm hopeful that we get like the content machine gets gets up and running, and sure, as yeah. we approach the dog days of summer. But like, where are you on the likelihood of the Raptors doing something other than just drafting at number thirteen tonight? Not not super high. Um, yeah, yeah, and and who knows? Maybe the Raptors will make us look silly by saying at the trade deadline they're going to make a move, and then they, you know, to sell and they they buy instead. And now we might be like, well, the Raptors are probably going to stamp pad, and and they do surprise people by making a move. But every indication, based on all the reporting I've seen out there, based on what I've heard as well, is just that the Raptors want to not keep this thing going specifically, but like they're comfortable keeping this thing going, right? Like they essentially would need to be really, really impressed by. Um, a trade offer for pretty much just Pascal or OG. I mean, yeah. maybe they make some other roster moves. I would love for them to tinker the bench. They have a lot of forwards on the bench. Turn that into a guard. That could definitely help the team. But those are kind of minor moves. Right? We're talking about maybe moving a starter of Pascal and OG. Um, they would need to be sort of, you know, really, really impressed. And, and teams will have to come up to their price. And so far, not, none of that has happened. We'll see if Atlanta really comes up to intrigue Toronto with what they potentially have for Pascal. I, I know that interest is real. Yeah. But... Um, I'm struggling to see what the trade package would look like. Me too. Because the headliner for that kind of deal isn't very good. No, it's, it's not. It's one thing to be like, hey, we, we've turned Pascal into number three. That's where We're it. able to draft Scoot Henderson. And it's like, did you see Scoot Henderson go one-on-one against Wemby? You know, and it, he looked awesome. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, we, I can believe in that. I can buy into that. It's not so much when it's like Atlanta Hawks will give you the 15th pick and John Collins and, and some other picks. It's not, like, all right. Not as sexy. Not sexy at all. Yeah. <laughs> Opposite of sexy. Um, now, I mean, Vegas, and I, I guess it started with the Shams tweet that, yeah, sure. it does look like Scoot's going to go too, I guess. And I don't know if Brandon Miller's like playing into the whole, I don't want to go to Charlotte thing with the, <laughs> like the MJ stuff and like him airballing the free throw and, and saying Paul George is, is the goat. But like, if it is, if, it, if we're talking, because Scoot makes a lot of sense. I mean, positionally, mm-hmm. that makes a ton of sense. If it's Brandon Miller, are you as are you as interested in in you know a trade with the Blazers for Brandon Miller? No, and I don't think Portland is particularly interested in in making that deal for Pascal or OG with the number three pick. Yes, um, and again, maybe who knows? Maybe they turn around. And they're like, okay, we actually will offer this, but 
it seems like Portland has some wits about them in the sense that they clearly just need to move Dame and just embrace all the young guys that have been accumulating. They've tanked two straight seasons now. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why you tank two straight seasons, so that you can pivot into a rebuild. Um, but there is still this inkling that, like, okay, maybe they want to move the number three pick because Dame wants to compete right now. There's nothing that number three picks going to get you back that's going to make Dame into, and the Portland Trailblazers into a contender mm. this next season. So um, I, d- I definitely don't think it'll be Pascal or OG, but... Could, um, they, could they call his bluff, though, and just, like, hold on to him and, and try oh, and course. do two I'm, things at once? Well, I mean, unlike Bradley Beal, like, Damian Lillard did not have a no-trade clause. Yeah. Does not have a no-trade clause. So he can be unhappy. He can even ask out. That, that would make it even easier for Portland to be like, all right, I guess we'll pivot. Mm-hmm. So, but, I mean, no, I mean, if it were up to me, just in terms of that deals on the table, I probably wouldn't do it. I mean... I have real concerns with Brandon Miller. I just don't think that, like, we have strong indications that he's got a good head on the shoulders, mm. especially based on what he did in college. And yeah. Then, whatever. This this latest thing about saying Paul George is the GOAT, that's, I don't know, that's kind of trivial. That is kind it's of— amusing. It, it is very amusing. That I, I mean, that would be so strange for anyone to come on and say that particular player. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like all the things we've seen and heard out of him, he has, hasn't shown great judgment to different degrees, you know? No, he, he he really hasn't. Unless, like, yeah, unless he's doing the galaxy brain thing and he, he really doesn't want to go to Charlotte and and he's, he's you know, souring. Sure, I guess. That the hornet's on him. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a real uh, confusing couple of weeks of, of storylines surrounding him. So, yeah, I think the most likely course of action is the Raptors – uh, stay on the path that they're going along. I, I guess they attempt to, to re-sign Fred and Jakob Pertl, who they gave up a first-round pick next season. Well, you got to keep him at this point. But, I mean, you've seen the reports now, right, that even, like, the Spurs are maybe capable of, of clearing up enough, enough no, they, cap they, they space to go in and, and sign them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with that, we can talk about Fred in a second. But again, you not only didn't sell at the deadline, you acquired a guy that that was good for you and a position to need. And yep. he, I mean, yep. it was surprising at the time, but yeah, the more you thought about it, hey, this is, it's, you needed a center, and mm-hmm. how are you going to acquire it? It wasn't going to happen in free agency, so you have the you have his bird rights. You can re-sign him after the season. It made a lot of sense. If they lose Jakob Pertl, is that not? I mean. The, that's got to be one of the, the biggest disasters in, in recent franchise history if that happens. Not to say that it is going to happen, but you're hearing more rumors about his um, how, how valuable other teams see him in sure. free agency yeah. upcoming. I think it would just be almost like borderline malpractice by the yeah. front office if that were allowed to happen. I mean, there, these things are done where you discuss with his agent and him in particular, and you ask them before you make the trade. Yeah, you are granted backroom permission again, like tampering. But you, again, like this is how business is done. Like you talk to their agents, and you're like, "Will you resign here for this amount?" And you guys say yes. Maybe you guys even like do a little like you know fist bump handshake on it. You know, you know, nothing in paper, obviously, no paper trail. But like essentially, you work that out. And mm-hmm. we've seen the Raptors even do that recently when they traded for Gary Trent Jr. A slightly different scenario. He was restricted. But ultimately, um, you know, when they traded for him, there was like half a year left on this deal, and he resigned at a number that you know seemed pretty fair. So I expect the same thing to happen with the Acapulco. But I mean, at the same time, like he he is a valuable player, and I could see other teams wanting to get in on him. But to be honest, that should be a certainty. Like, and it would be disappointing it, if it's not like done July one essentially. I mean, I get it. Like, there is a cap on your earnings potential, but like if you're 
him, aren't doesn't that put you in a supreme position of leverage? Like, to, oh, to, to, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. To, yeah, I mean, we're can. talking about twenty million a year. Like, what? Why wouldn't you demand? More than that, if you were all about dollars and cents, wouldn't well, you? I mean, you could demand more. I mean, you still have to find someone else to pay you more than that. Right. And I don't think there's another team out there that's going to pay, like, I don't know, something ridiculous, like 25 for, yeah. for him. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, look, we just had Green John a couple of minutes ago. And he, he's he's pretty confident, and I think I, I agree with him that, you know, Yak does want to stay here, yeah. and he, he does want to retain here. But, again, it would be a pretty crazy coup if, if the Spurs just came in and was like, actually, we'll take him back. We'll have your pick. Yeah. And uh, we're going to we got Wemby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm, you know, I might become a Spurs fan after that. I don't know. <laughs> it might be the Spurs show now. It would be tough to be a Raptors fan uh, at that point. Um, you yeah. mentioned the Gary Trent Jr. opting in for, what, uh, just north of $18 million, And I guess there's conversations about uh, an, an extension which can be yeah. signed in July. Did that surprise you that, that he opted in? No, not too much. I thought it was a possibility just based on the fact that he didn't have a great season. Like, this wouldn't be the kind of year where you want to enter into free agency and decide three or four years of your future mm-hmm. based on a year where you got sent to the bench twice. You know, Nick benched him um, in November, uh, and then injuries happened. He got back into the starting lineup. Then they brought in Jakoproto as the fifth starter. It really did balance out the lineup, mm-hmm. um, but that also bumped Gary back to the bench, and then he had a very small role to play. He didn't really find a good rhythm there, too. So that's not the greatest year to go into free agency with. Mm-hmm. Not to say that he hasn't shown, you know, enough of the course of his career, but, yeah, I mean, if he had hit the market, I think he probably would have earned something very close to his player options. So why not roll that over? The Raptors, I, I think it's a good thing for the Raptors. First and foremost, it, it gives them more space in terms of um, – how they're going to approach free agency with both Fred and Jakob Pertl. They actually have an avenue now where they can re-sign them. Let's say Jakob for 20, Fred for 30. I mean, look, it's a lot of money, but you can still stay under the luxury tax with those guys brought back. Yeah, but- All you have to do is essentially waive Thad Young, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if they need to waive Thad Young. Yeah. Um, I think his deal is also only guaranteed for $1 million out of $8 million. So you can already get under the luxury tax just based on that alone. So yeah. Gary opting in really helps that. Um, but then there's there's no room for additions after that, right? Like, can you can you mid level you, you can't you can't make any additions, right? Without going into the tax and and I mean, well, this is a a, a forty one win team a season ago. I know, I know. Trust me, I, I understand how like not exciting this all sounds. You know what I mean? It's not like hey, you know what? You know we are going to bring back the same group. And even the year before that, when the Raptors did win forty eight games, which is you know, and, and it felt a lot better, quite frankly. Like it, yeah. it just felt a lot cooler it was new scotty barnes was rookie of the year yeah it was like whoa look at these guys. gary was having a great moment as well in that season it was like look at this group they're real young and they're exciting um this past year was so frustrating and not just in terms of like the record um but in the style of play that they made like they were just so the, the offense was just run so poorly in terms of just like you know masai talked about it himself i did not enjoy watching this team he talked about selfishness but multiple times on and off the record mm-hmm. so Okay, why why are we then bringing back the whole group? I mean, I think it's the most prudent thing to do in terms of I don't want to see guys just let go for nothing. But at the same time, I would love to see changes in terms of just like, okay, you would eventually actually sign or, or sign these guys but then trade them eventually down the line because, um, yeah, it's it's not – it's not exciting many people to to bring back the same group. Right? No, unless, unless Darko Ryakovich is like some sort of wizard. That is – Sure, I mean, sure. Doesn't it feel like it's been positioned that way? That, I mean – Okay, he hasn't hasn't said that explicitly, but he he did talk a lot about luck and like I know the vibes thing. People can yeah, go okay, either yeah, way on that yeah. thing, but it does feel like that's this front office does believe in the bad vibes that surrounded this team for whatever reason. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And there does seem to be like a lot of import put on 
the head coach changing all that, which leads me to this. Mm-hmm. Well, like this, this team won a championship in 2019, and yep. and they, the Toronto Raptors won an NBA title know, in 2019, and so Masai Ujiri for forever and ever and ever is the greatest uh, executive in the history of this franchise. I guess until they win another one, and maybe without him. But at what point? Because there's been a number of missteps since then, and. And questionable moves. And, I mean, you mentioned Thad Young. It'd be nice to have Walker Kessler and yada, 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 mm-hmm. yada, yada. And there's a few uh, other ones outside of that, Malachi Flynn and yada, yada, yada. I mean, what, where, at what point do you start to lose enough equity uh, as the front office that, yeah, you do have your fan base maybe not giving you the benefit of the doubt with every single move you make? I would say, honestly, among diehard Raptor fans, you're already starting to see some of that crumble. But uh, at the same time, I think for him, it's sort of um, – Maybe you don't worry as much about sort of losing that sort of public Q rating, but more importantly, can you make trades that improve like what the Raptors have based on, you know, what's on the roster? I think that's the biggest thing for them that they really need to do. Um, the Raptors, even in Messiah's own words at the trade deadline, free agency is not a factor for them. It's not a factor. The, fa- the free agency is like you sign out a porter and he played eight games for you, which is another misstep, I, yeah. I have to say. Um, but you know, you have these players, you're able to develop them, you're able to grow them, and then you trade them. That's the whole thing. And I feel like even this whole scenario, like we talk about Pascal right now, I think the reason Masai wants to hold on to Pascal, not only just because he's a good player and, and um, you know, he's, he's a star player who's willing to stay in Toronto, which is not insignificant, but Masai wants to hold on to Pascal Siakam so he can make the next Kawhi trade. Mm-hmm. He's the, the Marta Rosen in this scenario. Yeah. Right? And so it, the Marta Rosen did not ultimately get traded for the Atlanta Hawks package number 15 and some other stuff. You know what I mean? That, and, and I'm sure there were multiple opportunities for Masai over the, the course of that era to have dealt um, DeMar for, for that kind of return, but he ultimately chose not to. And whatever, the quiet thing is like, you know, truly a generational trade. In well, that's of, it. Like, are you very, being stubborn holding out for that, like to, to catch lightning in a bottle twice in a span of a half decade? Yeah, but I mean, what's what's the alternative? I guess they could like tear it all down and, and yeah. just rebuild from, from scratch, which, you know, I, I think that's understandable to some degree, but it is really moving into the unknown. And I also think that like, what, Masai gets paid at least $10 million per year, yeah. probably more, maybe up to 15. Uh-huh. You know, the whole front office is, is really well uh, compensated. Why would you pay the front office that much money so that you can rebuild and tear down? You know what I mean? And so I'm not saying that Masai needs to do it for his own job security, but, you know, you, you pay top bucks because of, uh, um, you know, oh, uh, we the got, ability to build a contender. Okay. We, got a break, we got a breaking news? We got a, yeah, we got a Woj bomb. Um, let's go. ESPN sources, the Washington Wizards are finalizing a deal to send Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors for a package that includes Jordan Poole and future draft assets. It's happening. Things are starting to happen. Chris Tapps, Porzingis, oh, Marcus Smart on the move. And, and now uh, Chris Paul. Yeah, obviously was never going to be a longtime Washington wizard. <laughs> uh, he goes to the Golden State Warriors who, uh, yeah, they probably won't have Draymond uh, Green for this upcoming season. Well, if they got rid of Jordan, uh, Jordan Poole, I think I think Draymond's clear to return. <laughs> I actually think it's clear to return. Yeah, do you think that's it? That actually... I really think so, yeah. Yeah. Well, why would you trade for Chris Paul if you don't retain your core veterans? I think they want to make one more run with this. It sounds like, based on the reporting that we have, and right now this is probably what's really annoying to me. I'm sure it's annoying to you, too. In NBA circles, like, these trades just break in, like, segments. Like, yeah. it's never just, like, here's the tweet. This is the full t- transaction. Right? You saw yeah. it when the, the Marcus Smart getting traded yesterday. It was like, yeah. 
fell apart, and then it was a new thing, and it's a new thing, and yeah. there's all these pieces. So based on what we see right now, the principles are Chris Ball going to Golden State and uh, Jordan Poole going to Washington. That's not a great return for for Jordan Poole. Like you at max, you get like two years out of Chris Paul, right? And Jordan Poole, especially last season when he was really really cooking and when they won the championship, there was lots of extended stretches where he was averaging twenty plus, mm-hmm. and and he looked like the, a, one of the you know young stars for Golden State. For for that to be flipped into Chris Paul is, I mean, I understand it from the the Warriors perspective. They got to do everything they can to maximize Steph, but yeah, it's a really small backcourt with with um, Steph. Chris Paul and Clay Thompson. It's great in terms of star power, but it's fairly small across the board. So I'm, I'm a little confused by this, quite, quite frankly. But it's an interesting team. Like they, they get more interesting. Sure. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It is also interesting because, you know, there was this whole thing for a long time where Chris Paul was the best point guard in the league and he was succeeded by Steph. Yeah. So it's a little awkward for him to go back and essentially be Steph's backup. But I mean, hey, listen, it's, I'm, I'm sure they're all you know, veterans who really want to compete for titles. So maybe they'll just put that difference aside. Yeah, I mean, are they going to play Steph, um, Chris Paul, and Clay Thompson all at the same time, I guess? Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like when I was watching the Warriors, especially watching them lose to the Lakers in the second round, and even at times against Sacramento, I'm just like, the Warriors look so small. Mm-hmm. Like, And that was the team before. Right. Now, I think Chris Paul is going to give you more defensively um, and bring you way more toughness than Jordan Poole, who was very much an unserious player for the whole entire playoffs. Like, I, I found myself upset at watching him because I love basketball played the right way and he wasn't doing it but like I don't know they're, they're small they need more athleticism they actually need more forwards and I'm sure they can make more deals and I'm sure they will but uh yeah this is an interesting one though but I mean in terms of who can would you rather have in a playoff series tomorrow which is probably how the Warriors are operating mm-hmm. I would definitely rather have Chris Paul than than Jordan Poole if I had to play a playoff series tomorrow yeah and you that's just not even, that's not even a doubt for me yeah and you just wrap Chris Paul in 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 bubble wrap for the regular season and hope that yeah, he can get through a postseason run, which has been a big if, um, basically his entire career. Uh, let's get it back to the Raptors for just a second. Sure. We, we we talked about Fred um, being one of those three pending free agent. Well, sorry, Gary's not a, a free agent anymore as he opted into his deal. But uh, Jakob Pertl and Fred Van Vliet. Um, and I know you saw on on JD's show this morning, Mark mm-hmm. Stein talking about how he 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 thinks it's unlikely that Fred returns to to the Raptors, considering. Mm-hmm. How he's being viewed uh, in in free agent circles, I mean, okay, losing Jakob Pertl after you gave up a first round pick is a disaster. But I mean, what is the backup plan for oh, the, the point guard position if you lose Fred VanVleet? I get it; he's a thirty year old dude and thirty million bucks, and that that's yeah. maybe not going to age so well. But like, what what is the pivot if you lose Fred VanVleet? I don't know. There's not. There's already a lack of guards on the roster. Period. I, I'm and maybe. We don't have to think about it in terms of position. Let's just think about it as skill. In terms of guys who can dribble basketball um, into tight spaces mm-hmm. and not lose their handle and also shoot a basketball consistently, I mean, besides Fred, I mean, like, how many other guys are there on the roster that already fit that billing? So that's already a position of weakness for them, even with Fred returning. So, um, yeah, I mean, you would have to hope if Fred was leaving that it would be a sign-and-trade and you can get something back in return. But quite frankly, there's not a lot of great point guards available out there that might speak to Fred's market. But also at the same time, I was like, you know what? Yeah, there could be a lot of great respect for Fred on the market, but like, who are the suitors out there, right? In yeah. terms of like teams that have cap space, you know, Orlando seems like they already have a lot of guards mm-hmm. in their backcourt, and that's before what they do tonight at the draft where they might add more guards. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
locking up Fred into that. I mean, we'll see if they actually want to do it. That There's more of a sign-and-trade possibility there, especially if they already have a lot of guards. Maybe you take back one of Orlando's guards, but, like, maybe you take back one of Orlando's guards. That's not exciting. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Like, Cole Anthony, the, the man who wore Tim's in a dunk contest? Like, that's, that's you know what I mean? So, whatever. Um, Houston, I suppose, is a possibility. They have a lot of money, and they yeah. had it. Or James Harden and James was like, you know what? I've come to my senses. I might just, you know, stay in a winning situation. Uh-huh. So I guess we have money to burn. Maybe we give it all to Fred, but I doubt it. If I were Houston, I'd be trying to sign two free agents rather than giving it all to one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think it remains to be seen if Fred really wants to go to Houston and essentially play babysitter because mm-hmm. that's what they would be signing him for. Okay, so I I, imagine- so I don't even know what the market is. That, I was, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see, like, who's the other fit. Otherwise, it could be some sign of trades. Maybe, yeah. like, I don't know, Lakers, for example. There, there's the clutch connection. Okay. But I don't see the Lakers giving that big of a contract. But because that's a winning scenario, maybe Fred takes a little bit less. But that will be a sign of trade if he goes to the Lakers. Well, and th- this is a guy that's, yeah, he's, he's diminutive. He's, he's, he's played a ton of minutes. I mean. A lot, yeah. Goodness gracious. Uh, he's 30 years old. And, and thirty million a season. Um, how do you think that contract would age if if the Raptors were signing him to you know three four years at thirty million per? I would love it for three years. I don't think it should be four years. Yeah. Um, and I would say, listen, I, I I'm pretty confident in Fred being a productive player. Um, you know, whatever you want to say if it's worth thirty million or not, but I'm confident he's going to be a least productive player over the course of a three year contract. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more than that, I'm a little bit more concerned. But yeah, I mean, I I'd, I'd say like, look, here's here's our offer. You know, we have a working relationship. Bobby and Masai, you know, have worked with Fred his whole entire career, and there's good respect there. And every time you ask each other about it, they always say that there's a good working relationship. So, um, you know, you let him go out and explore what's out there, and then you come back to it, and it's like, okay, are you going to beat this? And if you don't, then you move on. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, that will be ideally how it goes. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, if I had to guess, I think he comes back to Toronto for three years. And, and Darko's not playing him 47 minutes a game? That depends on if Masai gives him a backup, which uh, would, would really <laughs> How can help, you man. when you have no wiggle room? And it, like, yeah. I'm hey, man, this roster, yeah, it's not easy to fix this roster, man. No, it's not. It's not uh, easy. <laughs> we'll see if it, it, if it uh, undergoes a, a big uh, transformation before the, the draft tonight. Uh, Will, thanks for sticking around for this. Yeah, no worries. No uh, worries. William Liu of the Raptor Show. When we come back, we'll talk to former president and CEO of MLSE, Richard Petty. As the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Time Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I am Ben Ennis. So, rather interesting piece of news broke yesterday that uh, Larry Tannenbaum, who owns 25% of MLSE, Bell and Rogers own the other 75% equally. Uh, apparently, the 77-year-old is interested in selling a portion of his stake in MLSE to the Ontario Municipal Employees Retirement System. Now, the report also had a valuation of MLSE at $8 billion. 
dollars. So, so that is multiple professional sports franchises combined together, but that would be a record for a sports entity in sale. It's also a lot more than like some of the recent evaluations I've seen of MLSE where they come in, like I think a year ago, the article I was reading that people had uh, MLSE had valued at less than $2 billion. That's, that's quite an increase year over year. Let's talk to Richard Petty, former president and CEO of MLSE, owner of River Bookshop, uh, joins us online right now. How's it going, Richard? Uh, really well, thanks. Uh, thanks for doing this. So what, what was your initial reaction when you saw, saw the news that Larry uh, Tannenbaum was looking to sell at least a portion of, of his ownership stake? Uh, the first thing I correct is there was no way the franchise, the collective franchise, is worth only two billion dollars. That that number is long sailed. Uh, so, you know, it was really interesting with some of the recent football, basketball sales, and you start adding up the numbers. By the way, all the numbers are American dollars, mm -hmm. and it was easy to get to that number. In fact, I I tweeted out that I could see uh, just a week ago I could see. Uh, MLSE broken up at some point. So not a surprise to me. Okay, so broken up at some point. How, how would that work? Like, how do you undo the, the process that has been uh, uh, enabled to, to put it together? Well, in this one, it's much different. What, what I just said is much different than what's happening. Larry's going to sell X percent of his 25%. I imagine he's still going to... I don't know. I had a brief contact with Larry today. I didn't ask him that question. Uh, but let's say he sells half. Mm, he has tax implications, but he walks away with a billion dollars in American. I think he would still stay as chair. They, the other two shareholders would be silly not to. The man is very well regarded in all the professional sports leagues. And, and are we ever going to have a Canadian as chair of the NBA ever again after Larry? Mm. I mean, that's pretty prestigious. In itself, yeah, it is. Um, so you, you talk to him. He's seventy-seven. Like, what, what, why, why sell now? Uh, I understand it's a lot of money, and, and getting a valuation of, of of eight billion, and then cashing out ten percent of that is pretty good. Like, who wouldn't want that money? But yeah, what, what, why now? Well, I can't answer that question. Other than it's it's at a nice amount. There's always another pandemic around the corner. Uh, it looks like the broadcast deals are going to go up the next time. But, you know, it's a bird in the hand. Um, you know, maybe, you know, his, his business, largely run by his son now, uh, can probably deploy a billion dollars pretty effectively. Yeah, so could I. Uh, by the way, you don't have any, like, inside information about a, the next pandemic. You said that pretty confidently, Richard, that there's another one around the corner. Please tell me there's not. Absolutely. Busting out of China any moment now. No, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so so explain the, the other part of this to me, because the reporting has both Bell and Rogers with the ability to, to have first right of refusal for any uh, portion of, of sale of the, the ownership stake here. So, so how, how does what happens? Don't, don't they have to be at least offered the opportunity to, to match this, this pension fund? Well, they do, and I have no insight into this. But I don't know why they would. They already own control with their 75%. What does another, let's say 12, what's another 12% split equally at six comes to 6%? I just don't know, excuse me, what the benefit is for them adding to it. It's, it's you know, it's money. Bell and Rogers are busy doing all kinds of things, investing, cutting. And do they really need to deploy 
collectively another billion dollars. So I think what would be interesting, here's, here's something I have no insight here, but it could be that Bell and Rogers look at it and say, wow, you know, Larry's getting a lot of money for it. Well, that's it. So why don't, why don't we see if Omers wants to buy some of our percentage points? But they keep control. I mean, those are the type of machinations that, uh, you know, the, the, the smart men and women who do the finances for all the respective companies. Yes. Okay. So I want to go down this path. Well, actually, before we get there, like what if one wants to, I mean, what if one has more of an ownership stake than the other? I, I don't know if they'd ever let that happen, right? Because we, we know the state of competition between Bell and Rogers. But what if, you know, they're staring each other down and one says, you know what, I actually am going to buy some of that. And the other one, you know, hoping that the other one won't um, also buy a, a percentage stake in that you have more than the other, and maybe you get another seat at, at, at the table. Like, how would that work if, if one of Bell or Rogers had more? First of all, none of us know. Well, very few people know what the shareholder agreement is. And I think they always agreed. I mean, Larry can't join forces with one of the other two who have 37.5%. That, that I know they have to agree. So, I, again, I'm not in the boardroom, but I don't see that happening. Okay. Um, the other thing about, yeah, that's a nice price. Those are publicly traded companies, and, and they have to answer to me, at least Rogers does, because I'm a... I'm a... Well, they do and they don't. <laughs> okay. uh, because they own minority shares, they, the, the re results of MLSE don't show up in their annual reports. Hmm. So, yeah, they'll get, they'll get pushback. But, you know, frankly, who's, who's going to say they made a bad buy 10 years ago? I mean, something that Teachers sold for two billion Canadian. Yeah. So, you know the add up of that is now worth seven, eight billion American. They're looking pretty good at this investment. So I don't think there'll be any pushback. But again, and I don't know. I want to keep qualifying that. That um, I, I don't see anyone pushing back if they did. Yeah. So so just to clarify, you don't see. Yeah, the, the, the shareholders looking at the price that could be paid for uh, either Bell or Rogers's uh, percentage of MLSE and saying, hey, we actually, we'd like to, to, to monetize that. We'd like you to sell your share because, you know, the stock isn't exactly uh, uh, super high right now. It would be nice to, 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 to monetize w uh, at a good time. You're, you're saying that you don't see that as, as well, factoring no, it in. I think it's possible that Bell and Rogers would say, listen, as long as we get control continue with control mm -hmm. as long as we have the broadcast rights if someone wants to buy you know six percentage points of my 37 and a half they can deploy those two companies can deploy the billion dollars probably they probably got ways to spend that money too so i think you know it's a complex thing you've got three different parties weighing the pros and cons um you know they've worked together pretty effectively for 10 years um you know, Larry's been the constant. The Bell and Rogers uh, presidents and CEOs have changed often, but it continues to work, and the values continue to go up. So, you know, again, once again, not in the sh not in the boardroom, mm -hmm. but it seems to be working. I I think, you know, Larry's Larry's going to sell X percent. He's going to stay as chairman. I believe that the deal is he does have to step aside when he turns eighty. That's that's a couple of years from now, and you know, let's wait and see. I think. I think there could be other shoes to fall here. Um, franchises are worth a lot of money today. And do they, you know, I never, I never, when we, we sold 
we sold for $2 billion Canadian, I told teachers at that time, Ontario teachers, that they left a billion dollars on the table. Well, I was right. They left money on the table, but I was very conservative when I thought they <laughs> did move on the table. Yeah, uh, it turns out now that, that, yeah, that was a decade ago. Um, and, and obviously, yeah, that, okay, they've invested that money in something else. And maybe it's also grown uh, at the rate at which MLSE has grown. Unlikely, though. Um, like, okay, so let's talk about teachers a little bit, which was a, a pension plan. And, and um, it was also a very different sporting landscape, especially in the National Hockey League without the, the salary cap. But what is it like to, to operate with uh, a corporate entity that is not necessarily a sports or media entity uh, somewhat calling the shots? Well, they called the shots, but they gave me and the general managers a lot of autonomy. Yeah. Uh, we were doing well on earnings, uh, you know, enterprise value. I mean, collectively, when, you know, when they bought the franchise, you know, teachers, TD and Larry, I bought the Raptors, probably the total value of the collection of businesses was might have been 400 million. So in the in the years since that they bought the Raptors, they would had great return on their investment, too. So, you know, they, you know, whether it was Brian Burke or Brian Colangelo, they asked for resources, they got it. Um, you'll see, you know, some of the really rich men in the U.S., they're, they're willing to really blow their brains out um, these days. And But, you know, that... You know, collectively, we didn't think some of that stuff was prudent. So, mm -hmm. but they didn't say no to us. Uh, you know, one could have argued maybe we could have been more aggressive. But you know, our batting average of it wasn't like we came into the boardroom. They said, "Take out a piece of paper and write this down." Yeah. Uh, we made the recommendations, and and largely they agreed with them. And they never once shorted a general manager on resources. Yeah, and I would expect that to, to continue. Now, you know what's interesting is that, so MLSE has an interim CEO right now, Cynthia Devine, who was the CFO when Michael Frisdahl stepped down in, in 2022. That's 18 months ago, Richard. Uh, so there's no permanent CEO of MLSE over a, a, a span of time that is beyond a year. Is that is that not strange? Uh, it's not normal. So, so what does that mean? What, does that indicate something? I don't know. I'm not at the boardroom. But but I do know they all unanimously have to agree on this, on firing or hiring a CEO. Mm. So, I, again, I, and I understand you're not in a, in a position necessarily to speculate. And we all understand that you're not, you don't have any inside information. But, like, and you talk about other shoes to drop. Is there... You know, the potential of, yeah, some, I don't know, dissension, disagreements in, in the boardroom here, and, and maybe that also impacting uh, Larry's decision to sell. I don't know. I can't, I can't connect I, it. You know, I, I bet you, and again, I don't know. I I'm, I'm, I'm keep qualifying constantly. I know. I, I don't, I, my guess is that's not it. I do think they miss the CEO. Um, you know, a CEO, in my case, me, yeah. understood the workings of those companies. I'm a, I'm a businessman, and you talk their language, you spend a lot of time, I used to say I spent 20% of my time managing the board. When you, you know, Masai's got a job to do, Shanahan's got a job to do, and they, you know, they're focusing on what they do best, which is the respect of sports, and I do think they miss that. So when Burke or Colangelo were going to the board, I worked with them 
to make sure that they were addressing the points that I knew that the the business owners would want to understand. I would also work the board and manage the board, sometimes lobby the board. What they there were no surprises. I would, you know, stuff they got stuff well in advance. And that's myth now. There's no one there's there's you know an interim CEO is not the same as a full-time CEO. So I do think they're missing that. And I think it makes Shanahan's and and Masai's job a little more difficult. Isn't that dysfunctional? Like like that that that's a long time again, Richard, and I know I'll qualify for you. You're not there and we're all speculating <laughs> and I know you don't have any inside information, but this is a this is a big deal business with lots of big decisions to be made. I, I... I think they need a CEO. Yeah. A full-time CEO. Yeah. Brian Cox, he's out of work. Like, maybe. (laughs) There's a few men and women in the media area that could use the job. (laughs) It's true. Uh, So you alluded to these, like, potential other shoes to drop. I mean, there's been plenty of speculation, and it's always fun to talk about. I maybe even did a segment on the radio about, you know, Edward Rogers maybe stepping in, like, stepping outside of the, the corporate entity of Rogers and, like, using his personal wealth. To, to, to step in and, and capture some of MLSE or become like the, the Toronto sporting czar. It's so complicated when you have Bell and Rogers owning the equal, the same amount of, of MLSE and it being a total 75%. What does your dog think of it as well? But yeah, like those other shoes to drop and specifically the Edward Rogers of it all, because yeah, there's been more than a few rumors that yeah, he's, he really does enjoy um, uh, being the owner of, 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 of sporting franchise. How could that work? Like how, how do you undo? Well, again, um, yeah. they've got a shareholders agreement. I, I, he can't bell, he can't buy out bell unless they want to be bought out. Mm-hmm. So he might aspire to something, but there has to be the other parties have to agree. And why would they like it, it, it? Can you ever see a scenario where bell says, you know what, forget it. That That's fine. You control everything, especially considering, you know, how much content exists. Um, in MLSE. Well, there's also a way to control the content. You could sell it. You could sell your rights, conditional that that Bell or Rogers still has the rights mm. to carry X percent of the content of three major teams. You could do that. Right? That would that would be conditional. You know what? There's deal makers out there that are a hell of a lot smarter than me, and they can come up with all kinds of scenarios. But that scenario is easy to imagine. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but it's really easy to imagine. Okay. Um, how If they were going to negotiate somebody's exit or, or both of their exits, um, yeah, actually, it's more interesting if, if we're talking about one exit, whether it be Bell or Rogers. How, how, how would you do that? They have to sit there. Okay, so they want to sell, let's say one of them wants to sell 37 and a half. The other parties, they've got to decide if I'm selling 37 and a half to my competitor, that's one thing because it's not just a money play anymore. It's a competitive play. If they're selling their 37 and a half to a third party that's not in the game, like an Omer's, mm-hmm. then they'd probably be more interested. I'm willing to sell it at this price, but I, I keep my content. Mm-hmm. So I, I view all this, and I mentioned the Brian Cox thing, and, and we, we're all just, you know, we're in that mode having watched uh, four seasons of Succession, one of the greatest shows to ever exist on television. And it, it feels like that, right? Like when we talk about no CEO and, like, your, your brain goes to places where, man, there's some really 
interesting uh, infighting happening at the top of MLSE. You know the one thing I would say? Yes. Remember that famous thing at the end? These are not serious people. Yeah. These people are serious people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you don't think... Here's one little tidbit for you. I did... Okay. Say, you know, so way back, almost 30 years ago, when we're sitting in a boardroom with David Stern pitching that the group is called Polester with a whole bunch of everyone from Sam Pollock to Paul Beeston in the room. Um, the, the, the NBA, uh, the NBA said, would you pay a hundred, would you pay $125 million US for this? Mm. And what we understand is Slate and Bittov said, absolutely. And what we said was, well, I don't know if we're going to get a good return on our investment. So we reacted like business people. They gave the A answer, but I, I joked with Larry today. I said, 30 years ago, we were worried about buying a franchise for $125 million American. It's so it shows nuts. how things change. Now it's worth $4 or $5 billion. But who could have guessed that? That's, that's pretty decent inflation. That's, that's better than cost of CPI. Oh, a lot better than CPI. No question, Richard. Yeah, I wanted to get to that. That, man, we, we, yeah, the, the Charlotte Hornets uh, sold, or uh, Michael Jordan's uh, stakes uh, sold for, yeah, a franchise valuation of $3 billion. Is there a limit to this? Like, it, it, it does feel like it It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it wasn't that long ago that we talked about Steve Ballmer paying $2 billion for the Clippers. What an insane overpay. And that that's, like, oh, that's that's cute. That wasn't very, that when Ballmer did that, I, but I figured he's one of the richest guys in the world, and, and he loves basketball. He loves sitting at, you know, at courtside and yelling at everyone. So, I figured it was just a, an ego play, yep. but it turned out to be brilliant. I mean, you know, nothing continues up. And and sometimes when the decline, you know, I, I can remember running a number of different companies. And you had a product that was doing really well, and they asked you to project to long-term growth. And you say, okay, it's not going to grow at 20% a year, but it's still going to grow at 5%. My experience was when it quits growing, it quits growing. Mm. But I don't know when that day is going to come in sports and entertainment uh, it seems to be a real growth industry, and you know, I think uh, let's repeat this interview in two years when it gets to ten billion. Well, and that's it. And and you know, you, you talk about recent uh, billionaire spending in pro sports. I mean, not all of the, of the the franchise, but we see the owner in San Diego of the Padres spend way beyond what that market should allow, and and probably not turning a profit year over year. But it's is it's a sports franchise, and. Not everybody's in it just to make money. But when you are talking about an entity like the Ontario Municipal Employees Retirement System, you know, owning a portion, and, and granted, it's not a huge portion, maybe 10%, and then I guess publicly traded companies could fall into the same spot, that this is, this is it's not necessarily about, hey, the um, the value of, of wins and losses and, and what great... Um, you know, what great fun it would be to win a championship. It is about, hey, the, this pension fund is buying this thing at a valuation of $8 billion. They believe in, what, 10 years that it, it's going to be worth $20 billion, I guess. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's that scary for Omers because it is only 10%. I think they deploy something like $60 billion. So it's a nice investment for them, but they do big investments, and it's not a long-term hold for them. The fact that teachers owned uh, MLSE for that long was not normal. So I don't think that's an issue. But you notice that no publicly traded companies own uh, over 50%. I mean, they just don't exist. I mean, Maple Leaf Gardens at one time was public. And, and I'm thinking there was a couple of others that have been along the way. But it doesn't work because the market, 
you know, investments for people buying and selling in the sports business, they're not looking at the earnings per share. It, it's it's kind of a it's it's kind of a hard and mine play, mm-hmm. and so but once uh, uh, let's say some crazy idea, Procter and Gamble buys the company, then it goes into their into their uh, earnings, and the and you know they buy it, and the teams that they buy is doing really well, but all of a sudden the team starts losing, and it starts impacting their shareholders will go crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's publicly traded companies, and I'm not even sure. I, I don't know that that if even if the agreements in all the pro leagues, whether a publicly traded company can know. I, yeah. I know they change ownership rules to allow things, uh, different entities to buy minority shares in uh, in sports teams, but that, that's they're not thinking of private. Uh, um, uh, publicly traded companies when they do that. I don't publicly traded companies with the demand for quarterly profits year after year and the way uh, the, the community penalizes them when they miss one yeah. or not even just miss one. They, you know, it still grows, but not as much as they expected. It doesn't work in sports. Uh, last one before we let you, you go, Richard. So I, Michael, I, I mentioned Michael Frisdahl who left, I, I guess, of his own volition, but it, it does seem like he was he was pushed out um, uh, over over a year ago, and he joined Signature Aviation. Um, in, in the world of being a CEO, where they're all good jobs, uh, but Richard, you've done this job. Like, it, can you compare being the CEO of MLSE to any other CEO job? And is it, do, do CEOs around the world look at that job as, as, as a kind of a dream job of sorts? So I had a CEO job at Pillsbury, Green Giant. I was a president of Hostess Potato Chips. I was a COO president of TSN, and none of them were like sports. The one, one of the big things is visibility. It is such a visible job, and more so. I've been gone 10 years. Social media has just made it crazier and crazier. But that said, there are so many men and women running big companies across the world that would jump to run um, a, a, a professional football league in Europe, a baseball team, or any of the pro things. It's so sexy that they take less money to do it. Yeah. I mean, the, the real pressure, though, exists in owning a book sh- a bookstore in 2020. <laughs> Let's just say I didn't do that for the money. It's not appreciating <laughs> as fast as the, the Raptors are. Uh, but I have hope. I have hope. Listen, I've, I've got a number of businesses that I think I'm going to do an initial stock offering any day now. Okay. Look for the, look, the company's called Black Dog Entertainment. Look for a notice on um, a stock offering any day now. And I, I advise all your listeners to buy the stock because it's got nowhere else to go but up. All right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my, my ducats in order for that one, uh, Richard. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for this. Appreciate it. Okay, it's fun, thanks. There's Richard Petty, former president and CEO of MLSE, owner of uh, River Bookshop, which you can uh, visit at riverbookshop.com. Uh, we have an incredible ticket giveaway for our listeners today. We're giving away a pair of tickets to the CONCACAF Gold Cup at BMO Field for June 27th. Canada's men's national soccer team will be competing to become the continental champion of North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. To enter for a chance to win these tickets, text today's code word DAVIES to 590-590. Again, today's code word is DAVIES. Text this into 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win tickets to next 
Tuesday's game. So that was super interesting. And I know reality is not usually like the art that we consume. It's probably not one-to-one like succession in the boardrooms of MLSE. But I'll tell you what, probably not going swimmingly. Because as Richard points out rightly, having an interim CEO for 16 months is not normal. It's not good. And you want to maybe, I don't know, point to a Kyle Dubas departure and some of the reports out of the Toronto Maple Leafs that some of the decision-making got clogged up along the way. Not just by Brendan Shanahan, but by Brendan Shanahan and his ability to go to the board and get things rubber-stamped. That's weird. That's not normal. What exactly is going on up there? Not sure. Does this rectify the situation? Not sure that's the case either. Interesting also to have Richard posit the possibility of both Bell and Rogers getting some equity out of this, this thing right now as well and selling more of a stake to this pension fund. I don't know, it could be an interesting offseason for both the Toronto Maple Leafs and Toronto Raptors in regards to, yeah, roster moves, but also maybe ownership level. All right, speaking of the Raptors, NBA Draft Day today. Uh, we'll talk to Taz Malas, co-host uh, co of the No Dunks podcast next. As the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sportsnet 590, the fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Things are happening. Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Marcus Smart, late last night. This morning, Chris Paul. Woj dropping the bomb that the Wizards finalizing a deal to send Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors for a package that includes Jordan Poole and future draft assets. Raptors owning the 13th overall selection in tonight's draft. Let's talk to uh, Tass Mellis, co-host of the No Dunks podcast. How's it going, Tass? I'm doing great, Dan. I don't know what time it is. You said uh, the Chris Paul trade happened this morning. I mean, it happened like 45 minutes ago, but it could be morning. I don't know. I have no idea. Things are happening just pretty fast and furious right now. Did I say morning? Yeah, I don't know. Afternoon, <laughs> who knows? I don't, I don't know. I, just, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, it all blends together. It was uh, it, The way the Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Marcus Smart thing happened yes. uh, was wild because at first it was Malcolm Brogdon in the deal. Yeah. And the Clippers of all teams said, nah, we don't want an injured guy when, <laughs> when all they do is injured guys. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, okay, we'll throw Marcus Smart in, which is really strange because it seemed like Marcus Smart would be a Celtic for life. Yeah, there, yeah, it really did. And he was apparently devastated to find out and was not the initial plan, as you mentioned. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon was supposed to be on his way out. And apparently the, the injury situation is so bad with him that the, the Celtics won't be able to con- consummate a trade with anybody 
uh, for him. I, I guess let, let's let's do the the news of the day so far, the, the Chris Paul trade. Um, yeah, we knew he wasn't going to stay a wizard. We, we all got that. But how do, how do you feel about the Warriors as a landing spot for him? First shock, uh, they do not play a Chris Paul-type style, which is uh, they do a lot of movement. That's, that's, that's how Steph Curry has empowered his team. He just flies around. Um, and, and lets the ball get back to him while Chris Paul runs the show. Ball in his hands a lot, and so it's very different. But he'll be running a second unit. You'd have to assume uh, he will be the adult in the room. And uh, what happened last year was when Steph Curry went to the bench and Jordan Poole, uh, who's now going to the Washington Wizards, was running the show, things just didn't go all that well. And so this is a new front office led by Mike Dunleavy saying to Steph, we are giving you um, uh, a heck of an upgrade here with Chris Paul. I know he is turning 39 uh, in, in next postseason, and he wasn't by next postseason, and he wasn't able to stay on the floor in the playoffs against the Denver Nuggets. So that is definitely a risk. And I say it's a heck of an upgrade just strictly from uh, the point of view where, I mean, you got, you have a lot of adults. I mean, they're, they're, they're going older, uh, to finish off Steph's career here. And and it, it says a lot about how they felt about Jordan Poole. They, they attached a, a draft asset, a first-round pick, way in the future, uh, yeah. which is protected. So they're kind of protecting themselves. If they are bad in the year 2030, it's wild. They're trading picks uh, in, in the year 2030 now. Uh, but I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just trying to help out these, these last few Steph years. Uh, and it's it got to feel really weird for Warriors fans, a guy that, they have despised for a long time in Chris Paul uh, now joining them and, and Chris Paul going to be running the show with the, the second unit. And yeah, who knows how long he's going to be? I say it's going to help Steph's end of career here, but really his money is only guaranteed uh, to pick it up for this season, which uh, they're going to pick it up for this season, but that's about it. So it really says a lot about uh, the pool scenario um, and, and how that did not work out. But, uh, there's going to be a lot of adults uh, in the room. They were pretty upset with the way they started the season last year, starting at three and seven, and they just couldn't get right. Uh, so yeah, they're they're going for it. And, and Mike Dunleavy and the front office are are trying to give Steph his best opportunity here. Yeah, and Chris Paul has been injured constantly uh, throughout the the course of his career. And man, key points during the postseason. In that regard, like you mentioned, the age that he's going to be turning 39 in May uh, of next season, like. The, the fact that he is going to be playing a bench role, like a limited role on, on this team, does that not make it make a little bit more sense? That eh, Although, that being said, like, do you think we're going to see Chris Paul on the floor with, with Steph Curry at the, at the end of important postseason games? If, again, they're healthy. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great call. I, I do, you got to think that being on the bench helps just limit his minutes. Uh, this is a... Uh... Yeah, you're you're backing up Steph Curry, who's going to play a lot of minutes as well. So yeah, Chris Paul's minutes should be limited, and that should help him. It should. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it is a risk, but at the same time, um, it's probably just a one year risk. Clay Thompson also coming off the books at the end of this year. Who knows what happens with Clay? Uh, Draymond now is the next big question as his contract is up in the air. Uh, but it's it's a, a one year going all in with. Uh, a bunch of vets, uh, and uh, I, I kind of do think he, he could uh, end the game. I mean, what what a great option to have 
at the end of game as long as he is healthy. So yeah, that's what they're um, what, what they're banking on, and they're also banking on young guys like Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody yeah. being helped out a lot uh, by playing with Chris Paul. They still have a bunch of young guys on their team, and uh, Chris Paul should just take them up uh, another level, and that's. Another reason why they ended up with a six seed last year, despite having one of the best players in the world in Steph, uh, a really solid year from Clay, and so it's it's a it's throw all your chips in for one year, but you can also reset in twelve months as well. Yeah, uh, you can. Um, maybe the Clippers are trying to reset to a degree. Like there's a lot, a lot of rumors floating out there that the Paul George could be on the move. They move into a new building. What after after this upcoming season? Um, yeah, th- yeah and, and Kawhi and Paul George, they, they, their contracts are coming to an end uh, rather soon. What do you make of, of this potential moving off of Paul George, uh, who Kawhi Leonard seemingly pa- uh, handpicked to be his running mate there uh, in L.A., who hasn't been healthy, neither has Kawhi, but the, the, the Clippers are maybe looking for a little bit more health certainty there. Like what, what, what do you make of the, the potential of them moving off of Paul George and how can you have health certainty when Kawhi Leonard's still the, the key cog? Oh man, I, I can't read the tea leaves there whatsoever. I can pretend to be an expert here, but um, it, it's a, it's a real strange one. I, I'm not sure what they do. I, I, I think, you know, you mentioned Kawhi, who hasn't had a healthy playoff since 2020, you know, hobbled through a championship run, was able to go the next year uh, in uh, in the bubble, uh, which was, you know, a strange year for, for everyone. Um, but he was able to get there, you know, with a couple months off during the year. And then since three straight playoff runs, hasn't been able to finish a playoff run. Paul George, also at a point where um, he, he's not as injured, uh, but he has had, uh, several injuries, wasn't able to finish the season last year. So those two guys under contract for the next two seasons, uh, they seem to be looking to go for it by trading for Malcolm Brogdon. But there's a, but it, it really it really doesn't make sense to go along with these Paul George rumors. You can't be doing one and not the other. I I think it's either you move off of Paul George and try and get uh, bad. And 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 I think even though. Um, he would garner more than Kawhi Leonard at this point, which is strange to say uh, because of how great Kawhi is. I, I think you kind of got to go and try and look to move both of them, which is also strange to say because wow. because they look so good when they're healthy. Uh, they they had a, Kawhi had a great first couple games yeah. against the Phoenix Suns and then got injured uh, in the postseason. But to me, Ben, I, I would say just just go the other direction. I say call the Washington, uh, I'm sorry, call the Miami Heat hmm. who put in an offer for Bradley Beal of two first round picks and Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry and say, Hey, our guy in Kawhi Leonard has got a similar contract, but it's two years shorter than Bradley Beal's. He's won a championship. Would you like to take a superstar for a similar package? Kind of sucks that they are going into a, a new building with, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of toilets, as Steve Ballmer told us. Uh, it would be really weird to go into a, an arena, you know, basically with a team that's just sort of predicated on hope, yeah. uh, with, with a, a younger team um, without Kawhi and Paul. So I, I don't think they, go, they do what I'm saying here. But, I mean, I, if, if you were, you know, without the whole arena coming up, I would say the best idea was to try and cash in on these guys that haven't been able to stay healthy 
uh, three years running here. And uh, I guess they're just going to, I mean, it would, it would be really strange to, to see them go trade Paul George, who they could also call the Heat. Uh, would the Heat really want to go for it for Paul George? Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't see Kawhi leaving. But uh, if I was Steve Ballmer, I would be thinking about that move. Yeah. Yeah, and thinking about how, yeah, you maybe it, the, the Clippers made a lot of sense playing in that big market, but they still got that Clippers stank. Like, isn't it time for just a total rebrand of the name? Move into a new building, change the name, right? Did this work for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, who turned into the Rays, all of a sudden got good. Uh, we, we thought new ownership and, and you know, bringing Kawhi and Paul George in, that this was a different Clippers team. The stank is still there. Don't you have to change the name? Don't you have to think about it, Taz? Oh, yes, I'm with you. I mean, I... I it feels like the the Devil Rays, even though half their name is still there, it feels like a totally different franchise. Yes, uh, I'm I'm totally with you on that. Uh, even if you call the uh, the Los Angeles Purs or the Los Angeles Clips, yes, uh, you know, keep half the name. Uh, it would feel uh, it would it, it would feel fresh. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, what would you call them though? Really, a Clips or Purs? That was a really stupid thing I just said. But uh, <laughs> the, Los, the Los Angeles. Um, I mean, what 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 could they possibly? Balls, like that. after Steve Ballmer, the, the Los Angeles Balls. We have we had a team named, you know, after the net. So yeah, how about the Balls? <laughs> oh no, God, yeah, that, that, no, yeah, oh, that's no, that's a sad sellable. You could, you could, sure. Yeah. Um, Who doesn't want to wear a jersey with balls on it on the front? I think it would, I think it would be. Yeah, a you know the horn. The Hornets just uh, Hornets just sold jerseys that had CLT on the yes, front. That's I, I think true. anything goes really. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> All right, let's let's bring it back to the the local team here, Taz, because it feels like Raptors again could be in on a bunch of different stuff. We haven't talked about the Blazers and the the third overall selection and and Dame, what they decide to do um, before the draft or after the draft or during the the off season this year. But this Raptors team, the, the further we go along, and we saw Gary Trent Jr. opt in, um, it does feel like they're they're ready to just run it back. And we got fooled at the deadline as well, Taz, that we thought they were going to make oh, all yeah. kinds of wild moves. They did nothing. Where are you uh, heading into tonight? Raptors do something or not Not much? Mm. I, I would say not much. I'd say try and get a uh, a guard that they really, 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 really love. Uh, at their pick, uh, which could possibly happen, uh, I, you know, it's hard. It's hard to see them passing on Bilal Koulibaly, uh, Weminyama's teammate mm-hmm. in France. Uh, if if they if he's available at their pick as a guard, uh, and yeah, Ben, I, I'm with you. It, it it happens. Yeah, from from every time, every transactional period where it, it feels like the Raptors are going to make a move. They don't. Now, I, I, I guess you could count the nurse move as a reason to run it back because it is seemingly a, a fresh start, uh, somewhat of a fresh locker room, although you know, a lot of players you know, maintaining basically the, the, the same lineups. But I, 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 you know, besides them doing nothing tonight, I, I, just, I would find it hard to believe that Fred is coming back with the, the circumstances of Gary opting in. It feels like Gary knows that he's going to have more of an opportunity uh, with the Raps. Um, being a clutch client, mm. just like Fred Van Vliet is, may have some intel there, uh, but it, it definitely feels like the one move other than making their draft pick tonight will be Fred Van Vliet moving on. But other than that, you know, as you implied, 
it's the trade deadline comes and goes and Masai just teases. And uh, that's, you know, that's, I I think that's something that they, uh, they won't necessarily do in February if things aren't going right. But yeah, I I could see them running it back again with, with Gary and, and another guard that they draft tonight. Yeah, they keep saying the same thing. Hey, we can pivot even if, if we don't, you know, trade pieces off now. You know, the, the value of those pieces are uh, pretty similar in the offseason. Well, not if Fred Van Vliet just decides to sign elsewhere. I mean, there's also these reports, Taz, that, that the Raptors yeah. are, and I mean, it's not a report. Like, that seems pretty clear that they're very difficult to, to deal with in trade, right? That they, the Masai Ujiri has right. his price and he, there's no wiggle room there and he won't move off of it and there's, obviously a value in that and that, that you, you you can't mess with the guy and he's, I guess, true to his word. But is there, like, a danger in that? In Because, like, everything that we've seen outside of, I guess, those conversations um, in, in trade backs that up, that this guy seems to value things that maybe other people don't see the value in. Like, he's, he sees a 41-win team from a year ago and he's like, let's run it back with a new coach and we're good, where, like... I mean, you watch that team for 82 games. Is that something you want to see yeah. again? Like, are, are we in danger of this guy overvaluing what he's got? Yeah, it's well, you combine that with the fact that the, the new collective bargaining agreement is coming and no one is overpaying the way they were 12 months ago when Masai was apparently going to the table asking for multiple draft picks for OGN and OB, rumored to be three first-round picks. No, it's just a rumor, but it's somewhat believable when you saw what Rudy Gobert got in literally five first-round picks, what Donovan Mitchell got in return, even what DeJounte Murray got in return in Atlanta. Now it's a very, very different landscape 12 months later and, and multiple months later after the trade deadline with this new CBA that really penalizes teams that uh, go over the luxury tax and over this second apron, a uh, really fun term that, that – uh, that's, that's going to be implemented for this coming season. So the price has to be lowered. I, I always wonder, you know, Masai is definitely uh, somebody that doesn't lose trades most of the time. But are they actually talking to Masai anyways? Isn't most of the conversation going through uh, Bobby Webster um, and, and others, really? So, I mean, what it comes down to is uh, he's got to be flexible if he's going to deal any of the big pieces. If, if Pascal or OG um, is going to be dealt. It's just a different landscape. So there's really, I mean, you saw what Bradley Beal went for, which is because the trade clause was involved. Uh, but that's the way she rolls. And, yeah, I, you know, as, for fans of the Raptors, it's kind of nice having a hard ass, I would say, as, as your negotiator. But I, I do agree with you that it would be very difficult to see the exact same team coming back. But... <laughs> You know, you have to wait and see what the guard that they acquire tonight is. I, I, I imagine it will be a ball handler. They're probably they're in a pretty good spot uh, mm-hmm. to get one. And so, yes, I know. I know there's not you know, a lot of promise for a rookie coming out of the draft, but That's at the it. same time, uh, you, uh, you, uh, they could sell. I think they could sell it as uh, sort of a fresh team with uh, with a new head coach and and go for a few months uh, w- with that lineup and. A new head coach exam again. Yeah, I'm already I'm already selling myself on it. Uh, <laughs> the fact that the fact that it would feel a little bit different, uh, you know, a, a main cog, and most likely Fred VanVleet being gone. Uh, I I think that's the that's almost imminent.
um, that he'd be gone, depending. And, and and who knows what they get back from if there if there is a sign and trade involved or he just walks. Yeah. Last one before I let you go. So our, our own Michael Grange here reporting that um, there is a sentiment within the Raptors that they saw the the Heat's success during the postseason. Uh, despite the fact they were trailing in in that second play-in game in the fourth quarter to the Chicago Bulls, but it made it all the way to to the NBA Finals that, hey, it's more wide open and the Raptors are not that different from a talent perspective from that team. Well, what do you what do you make of of that logic that, hey, it's 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 there's parity. There's more parity than ever before, especially in the, in the Eastern Conference that hey, the, the Raptors don't need to hold out for this super team or tear it all the way down, that the, you don't have to be spectacular to be one of the upper echelon Eastern Conference teams. Mm. Uh, that sound, sounds like they're selling ice in a snowstorm there. I mean, I don't, I, I mean it, it, it sounds sort of like, uh, it, like even 12 months ago, uh, after watching the Bucks win the championship in 2021, there, there were a lot of teams that sort of felt like, well, the Bucks got there. The Suns got there. Two teams we didn't necessarily think. Um, you know, the, no, no disrespect to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who who won the whole damn thing. But even a couple of years ago, it just feels like we're or they're rehashing the same arguments. Not not just from the Raptors' point of view, but for there are a lot of front offices sort of saying the same thing. Okay, Golden State's gone. The the, the LeBron teams are gone. It's our time to jump in. And we saw what a what a Miami Heat team did uh, this season. I mean, it, it, to me, it's the same sort of idea. Like that was that was a special run by the Heat, but they did make the conference finals last year, and yeah. they did make a finals a couple of years prior. So it it just sounds like it sounds like they're selling it, <laughs> and it sounds like um, a lot of teams are saying the same sort of thing. You know, the 76ers can be saying the same thing in the Eastern Conference. The Bucks, sure. of course, can be saying the same thing in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the, the Celtics can be saying the same thing in the Eastern Conference. So it's really just playing well when it comes down to it, and uh, hopefully um, new coach and things change. But, yeah, it sounds like uh, what's being said in a bunch of front offices right now. Um, just to, you know, sell those sweets type thing. Yeah, let's do it again. That was, that was fun. 41 <laughs> wins, but new head coach uh, with the magic elixir. Except, yeah, worse because, yeah, you won't have a point guard. Uh, you'll have a rookie. Uh, hopefully he's good. Uh, Taz, appreciate the he time. Yeah, <laughs> enjoy the draft tonight. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Ben. See ya. There's Taz Melas, uh, co-host of the No Dunks podcast. And we're now at a point. So this is actually good. This is different than the, the trade deadline where right up until it, we, I'll only speak for myself, I was pretty convinced that the Raptors were going to do at least something pretty seismic, whether that was an OG trade uh, or a Pascal trade or maybe a Fred trade. Something was going to happen, and then nothing did. I think now, with mere hours to go until the NBA draft, we're all at a point where we're resigned to the fact that, okay, I guess something could happen, but that would be the surprise, right? I think everybody's at the point where that would be the surprise. The more likely thing, considering all the reporting around the Toronto Raptors, basically since the offseason started, is they're going to try to run things back, and I guess now the reporting is that the Fred Van Vliet thing is going to throw a wrench into it, so, yeah. 
just out of necessity, there's going to be some turnover at the point guard position, but nothing earth-shattering like a Pascal Siakam trade or maybe trading into the top five of the draft tonight. Could happen, but I, I think we've heard from enough people that it would be surprising now. Uh, before we take the break, so Gary Bettman uh, speaking today at the Board of Governors meeting, and you know who's down there with him? Our own Elliot Friedman. So let's, uh, let's play a couple clips here. Obviously, the discussion about what NHL franchises, and you know what, it should be said, Major League Baseball franchises as well, have been doing with their pride celebration, whether it's uh, in stadium or as far as wearing specific pride uniforms. It's been a major point of contention and discussion across North American pro sports. Here's what Gary Bettman had to say on pride jerseys and uh, his NHL franchises. Well, actually, I, I've suggested that it would be appropriate for clubs not to change their jerseys uh, in warm-ups because it's become a distraction and taking away from the fact that all of our clubs in some form or another host nights in honor of various groups or causes, and we'd rather that we continue to get the appropriate attention that they deserve and not be a distraction. Okay, uh, it's not going to make a lot of people happy that uh, the NHL is opting out now, it seems like. So I guess that if you have something planned for next season, you're banned for Like, that's what I took from that, is the NHL is making a blanket statement, a uniform policy decision that, that there will no longer be pride jerseys used during warm-ups. All right, we, we already had Richard Petty on talking about the potential sale of maybe up to 10% of MLSE coming out of the 25% currently owned by Larry Tannenbaum. Here is uh, Gary Bettman reacting to that information. No, I don't think he's taking a step back. This is a small, passive investment. Um, it's nothing more than that. All right. Nothing more than that. Passive investment. Okay. Uh, it's a guy getting a billion dollars in his hands, which, uh, which who among us, honestly? Uh, Joel Quenville, Stan Bowman still hanging out in NHL purgatory as they have to apply for reinstatement to return to the National Hockey League. We we had indications that meetings were planned between them and Gary Bettman at some point this offseason. Here's the update on that. Cap, were uh, you indicated... Well, first of all, they've requested meetings because they know they're not eligible to participate without my approval. Uh, I'll see what they have to say, and then I'll decide... Uh, side, uh, what if anything more I need to hear? I haven't prejudged anything. They've requested the meeting, and it's really their agenda. So let me see what they say. All right, there is Gary Bettman uh, hitting on the major plot points of uh, this off season in the National Hockey League. Also, apparently, yeah, as we already knew, the salary cap only going up by one million dollars is the NHL and its players not negotiating an increase this season, despite the fact that it's going to have a repayment of all the money the players owed the owners due to the pandemic in pretty early stages of the season, just means the cap's going to go up by a bazillion dollars in 2024-25. Uh, Blue Jays have a day off today. I guess you could say it's a much-deserved. I mean, they won two out of three against the Miami Marlins. It's at least partially deserved. They did, however, lose five of the nine games on the three-city road trip that went through Baltimore, Arlington, and Miami. 
losing two of those three series. Starting tomorrow, it's must-win territory. It's Major League Baseball, and even the worst team in the sport is going to win 50 times, but that's like maybe all the wins the Oakland A's are going to get. They're awful. Real, real bad. Tomorrow's starter has an ERA approaching seven. You've been talking about how your schedule has been front-loaded with tough teams. Part of that is the division you play in. Well, now it's time to make hay against the Oakland A's. By the way, Saturday's cricket day at the ballpark. Should be a cool experience as well. Um, Nick Ashburn also on sportsnet.ca today, digging into the, the numbers a little bit and some of the StatCast data on why exactly Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not translating the hard hit percentage into home runs. And there's a little indication that it's something different and something that I didn't necessarily pick up on. Uh, we'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith of the At The Letters podcast next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. one step at a time. I know everybody likes the score and I know a lot of people want a lot of runs, but you know this is the major leagues and it's hard to score. So, you know, for, for us to to string together at bats, I think you know that's the key and move on. It's George Springer. It's Fan Drive Time Sports Time 59 the Fan I'm Ben Ennis. Yes. Yeah, I I would argue that hitting a major league baseball in a major league baseball game is the hardest thing to do in all of pro sports. Ball's coming at 100 miles an hour. It's a it's a sphere, and you're trying to hit it with a cylinder, and it's moving. Like that's again, it is difficult for everybody. That 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 sounded a little excusey to to me, if I'm being honest. Um, and George Springer hasn't been the biggest culprit here. I mean, early in the season he was, but he was bad when the rest of the offense was good. Like George Springer was bad in April. Matt Chapman's like, that's okay. I'll be American League Player of the Month. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will be, he said, I'll hit all of my season home runs in this month. And Bo Bichette is just, I'll be, just be Bo Bichette, and he's continued to be so. Um, but since then, George Springer's looked a lot more like George Springer, but Vlad doesn't look anything like the Vlad we thought he would look like, even like the Vlad we did see in April. Certainly doesn't look anything like the Vlad we saw in 2021. And Matt Chapman... Looks a far cry from what we saw in April. Now, yesterday was a pretty good indication, I guess, like that, that maybe things are turning for him. Hit a home run. Had a bunch of hits actually on the road trip. Uh, first pitch, ambushed a, a fastball, though, yesterday and, and hit it over the fence. But this Blue Jays offense has been the culprit all season long. I know there's been some wobbles in the rotation recently, but guys that are well-deserving of an opportunity 
to have or uh, well-deserving of the grace uh, that fans can give to them after a bad start because they've been so consistently good all season long. Kevin Gossman bounces back and gives his team a much-needed good start yesterday in the finale of the series. But, yeah, Chris Bassett was due to have a bad one. Jose Barrios is having a career year before he's finally had a, like, his first hiccup in what, like 12 starts? These guys were allowed to do that. Eventually, you would think the offense is going to pick this team up. What better time than tomorrow against the worst team in baseball, the Oakland A's, uh, as the Blue Jays return home? Let's talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith, your friend and mine of the At The Letters podcast. Hello, Ben. Ben, how's it going today? It's going great. Um, I know it's your off day, but but thank you for for making time for me. Um, I know, like, I, I, this is the way I preface uh, talking about this A's series, that you never want to, you know, talk about a sweep being the expectation, but, like, yeah, there's there's not many times you get to play the 2023 Oakland A's. A sweep, anything short of a sweep is a disappointment for this Blue Jays team, is it not? Yeah, I mean, you could win two of three, and it's, like, acceptable. Nah. But, yeah, this is, like, a historically bad team. You know, <laughs> they're, they're awful. So, yeah, if there's ever a point in the baseball season where you can uh, hope for a sweep and have that be actually somewhat of a realistic thought, then this is it. I mean, clearly losing the series would be a very, very bad outcome for this team. Um, we both know it's baseball. I mean, strange things happen and, you know, they can recover from even a sweep, but yeah, they, they should be on the other end of this and, and they have every reason to go into this trying to win all three and believing that that's a realistic possibility. Yeah. I even believe that Vlad will hit his first home home run this season uh, over this weekend series at some point. What better time than tomorrow? Uh, Nick Ashburn writing up, you know, some of the, the, the numbers uh, that that are behind Vlad's power outage this season, despite the fact that so much is trending towards what the numbers looked like in 2021 and specifically like launch angle. We don't have like a launch angle argument anymore. The launch angle is like plenty high, but he pointed to like a bunch of fly balls to center field that have been out, Ben, like just watching the process here, watching... You know, do, doing the eye test on, on the Vlad offense thing, does that track to you that maybe he's not pulling the ball enough? Yeah, I, I think that there's no denying it. He's hitting a lot of balls to center field. This is something that you know hitters have some control over where batted balls go. I mean, they certainly have more control than pitchers do when it comes to uh, the direction of the batted balls. Um, and so if you're Vladdy, maybe this is a chance to try to pull the ball a bit more. Uh, as Nick writes in his piece, though, we're getting the sense that maybe left field at Rogers Center is actually a bit more pitcher-friendly than it's been in years past. So there's a lot that goes into it. Ultimately, when Vladdy's on, when he's at his best, it shouldn't really matter what park he's in or who he's facing. He should be able to connect and be a difference-making hitter. And so we're seeing some of those underlying signs that are there. Um, this is something that Blue Jays themselves are well aware of in the front office and on the coaching staff. And, you know, they see these numbers the same way we do. Um, I think that it's perplexing, honestly, to look at the, the positives and then to look at the more traditional stats. And you see a player who, by the traditional measures, um, and the ones that really count, you know, has not uh, produced. And the power just hasn't been there for Vladdy in the course of the last six, seven weeks. No, it has not, and it has not been there at all at home, as mentioned, still sitting on zero home runs. It's almost July. 
A little bit concerning. Uh, we're approaching 40 home games for uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. And I, I, so back when, when Blake Murphy was sitting beside me on this program, we were, you know, we're running crude simulations once we found out the dimensions of the outfield wall for the Blue Jays and talking about, hey, maybe it's not actually going to be this Homer, Homer ballpark that everybody anticipates it being. But I, I got to say, never thought it would become one of the, the more pitcher-friendly ballparks in all of baseball. And maybe it won't. Despite the fact that they've played almost half their home games this season, that's still a too small a sample to 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 make any definitive statements about how new Rogers Center plays. But it is a little bit mind-boggling, Ben. Like there there is it, do you take anything away from these first whatever 37 home games for the for the Blue Jays as far as how new Rogers Center plays? Uh I really don't um to be honest with you. I just think it is too early. Um to to make any big conclusions uh, honestly it feels pretty similar from the way that it plays to to how it did before um i know we haven't seen a ton of home runs but partly i think that's you know a group of hitters that you can put them in in a lot of different ballparks and, and the blue jays aren't necessarily hitting a ton of home runs so yeah i i think you know it makes sense to wait this one out a little bit more usually in the summer you see the ball start to fly uh, a bit more to begin with, and I would expect that happens this year. I certainly think the Blue Jays are going to hit more home runs, and I think that that will include a lot more home runs at home. But to me, Rogers Center is still pretty much Rogers Center, um, at least you know maybe with a slight tilt toward being a bit more pitcher friendly. But I'm not making any huge um, decisions on that front. Uh, if they don't score runs against the A's, then yeah, I'm I'm getting even more staunch in my opinion. You got to score yeah. against the stinking A's. Um, all right, so let's get to some other bigger picture uh, stories around the, the the Toronto Blue Jays. So Blue Jays do not need a fifth starter until Canada Day, July 1st, against the Boston Red Sox at home, I believe. Alec Manoa will have been down for about a month at that point. Um, do you think it's possible he makes that start? It's a good question. I think it's possible. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's likely. I think that... You know, it'll be interesting to, to hear, and we'll probably find out right around this time tomorrow um, from the Blue Jays how Alec Manoa's sim game went on Wednesday. Um, that will inform the next steps for Manoa, and there's a good chance by what we've been told from the Blue Jays that his next start could come in a live environment against actual minor league hitters and uh, pose that sort of challenge for him that he hasn't, uh, that he hasn't yet faced in his workouts in Florida. And so let's say for argument's sake, he pitches in the Florida Complex League on Tuesday. Um, at that point, a lot of it depends on how it goes. I mean, how is he feeling? How is he recovering? What's happening with respect to velocity and swing and miss and movement? Um, less so the results, less so the earned runs or the, the number of hits that he allows in that game. It, but really, what are the actual pitches looking like? What are his mechanics looking like? Those are the questions the Blue Jays will start to get some answers to, and so will we, because it'll be a public game in in the actual uh, league. And then at that point, they can make a decision. Is he ready? Does he need more time? Um, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he needs more time, like more than just one start. So it's hard to pinpoint a timeline, but I wouldn't cross off July 1st at the same time. 
What what about the fact that it is Canada Day? Like that that's a pretty notable game, I would say. Um, when you play for the Toronto Blue Jays, it's at home. He's already started the season opener. He started the home opener. He started Game One of the postseason. None of those three starts went very well, Ben. And I, I guess maybe we can go back to the the, the playoff start as maybe the the beginning of of uh, this downturn for Alec Manoa. Do you think there's anything to like easing this guy back into the rotation and maybe not putting him in in such a notable spot right out of the gates? I, I kind of think there is something to that. I mean, unless you're really sure, and this goes, for the, I mean, they're all major league games and they're, they're all, even when you're facing the A's, it's major league games, it's major league competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that to some extent, it's going to be high pressure. It's going to be a big moment whenever it is that he steps back onto the field. But yeah, I do. I think that there's like a little bit of, are we really going to do this to this guy again? You know, yeah. just given the way his season's gone and, and even like, like he's just happened to line up against Luis Castillo and Garrett Cole and right. all kinds of games, all kinds of like big games already this season. I, I, you know, it's, you can't hide in the major leagues, nor does Alec Manoa want to, I'm sure. And nor do the blue Jays want to hide him, but there's something to be said, I think for easing him back in and trying to build things up more positively. Um, since he's been out though, that, that I, I know they haven't gotten wins out of the, the, the bullpen start days, but They've gotten results out of uh, Bowden Francis and and Trevor Richards as well. I mean, who looks really spectacular. He's been also used in in leverage recently. The the K's per nine at a career high. He has 52 of them in 34 innings this season. Uh, a real find. And maybe it's just like a one outlier relief season, which happens. That, that That's why bullpens are, are so hard to predict year over year. What's the best use of this dude? Because it seems like he's having a year. Yeah, it really does. He's been great. I think that, you know, this would have been hard to predict going into the season, just the versatility and the effectiveness. And we all know about the changeup, but man, has it ever played um, against big league hitters this year? So as for the question of what the best use is, I I think we're kind of seeing it. I I think that it's hard to really ask for anything more. And, you know, ideally you have five starters, so you're not going to anyone to spot start. Um, as the season progresses, but if you run into a situation where someone uh, has to miss a turn in the rotation, well, Richards can give you 50 or 60 pitches. And if someone's knocked out of a game early, he can bridge that gap. If you have a double header, he can contribute. If he's rested better, then you can use him in the eighth inning the way you did yesterday. So I actually think that this is pretty much ideal. If you could sign up for another few months of this, another few years of this, I think the Blue Jays would just be thrilled with what they're getting from Trevor Richards. Um, they were thrilled with the the big hit uh, Ernie Clement came up with uh, in Miami uh, against the Marlins, a guy who's a career minor leaguer, um, had a taste of the, the major leagues before being a Blue Jay, but he's 27 years old, like not exactly a prospect, right? And even his minor league results uh, are not overwhelming, but hey, good for him, came up with a big hit. Um, and it, I, I guess it, it's obvious that Spencer Horowitz would head back down once Brandon Belt was activated, seeing as though... They are both first basemen, both left-handed. Although, I mean, the Blue Jays really haven't done a great job of optimizing that 26th roster spot. And maybe there was a moment for for Horwitz to be on this roster as just a pure, like, late-game pinch-hitting option for for some of the the right-handed hitters on this team. Once Alejandro Kirk comes back, Ben... And 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 I guess you you know you do have the the extra right-handed bat, and when he's not starting, he's the pinch hit option off the bench late in games. 
Do you think that maybe opens up like a spot for for Horowitz? Would you rather have Horowitz or or uh, Ernie Clement on your team if everybody's healthy? Yeah, Horowitz was good. Um, you know, I think at this point, like right right now, I'd rather have Ernie Clement, partly because Bo Bichette is dealing with the thumb. So, you know, Espinal becomes your shortstop. Um, but what if you uh, need another shortstop for some reason? I mean, you let's say you pinch it. Uh, Danny Jansen for Espinal and you need someone to come in and play short, then Ernie Clement can do that in a way that Spencer Horowitz can't. So today I think Ernie Clement makes sense to be on the roster Uh, as the Jays move ahead and the roster shifts, then that could easily change. I mean, certainly you're not going to hold on to Ernie Clement um, in a way that's, you know, that's, that's totally inflexible. You're going to be open to optioning him to the minors that, that I think is, is pretty apparent. Um, at the same time, you know, Horwitz, yeah, he's had a great start to his major league career and he was really, really good in AAA, but I don't think you need to be making roster decisions um, to organize your roster around a guy who had two home runs at AAA at the same time. So I think with either one of these guys, it's really day-to-day. It's really series-to-series who is going to benefit the team more um, the same goes for Heinemann. The same goes for Nathan Lucas. It really, if you're at the back of the roster like that, it's just what are the likely situations that we're going to use you in the next two or three days, and then you make the call that way. Yeah. No, I don't think either guy – I mean, the Blue Jays have to get into the playoffs. I don't think either guy will be on the the ballot for a World Series MVP if uh, the Blue Jays get to that point, and it's it's – yeah. Probably not work, worth talking too much about when we're talking about the end of the roster, but the Blue Jays have really just, like, not used that roster spot. Nathan Lucas has been, you know, decaying out there for weeks on end before they mercifully send him back down to AAA. A guy that could have some utility, well, especially if there's, like, an injury, knock on wood, and that the, the Blue Jays' injury luck continues, because I know Bo Bichette is dealing with the thumb thing, but, yeah, they really haven't suffered nearly as many injuries as most of the teams in, in Major League Baseball. And I know Brandon Bell just came off the IL. Aurelvis Martinez is is realizing the potential here, Ben. I had to redo double-A this season. He's still very young. The power is still there. But everything else that we were told he was working on and you understood why he needed to, considering the year a, a season ago where he hit 30-plus home runs, but strikeout totals... Um, the walk totals, like the, the, the strikeout totals needed to go down. The walk totals needed to go up. That's happening right now. We, we talked about Ricky Tiedemann maybe factoring into the major league roster at some point this season if he had stayed healthy and everything had gone to plan. Well, th- that hasn't. What about Orelvis Martinez if he keeps this up? Like, what is his trajectory for this season? Well, I think he is putting himself on the map, and I think you're right to identify him as a guy that could – impact in the major leagues this year i mean that's once you're in double a and you're having the kind of results that he has and he's even hitting for a better average after a really weird start to the season where he was hitting in the 100s um you know the tools are there from a power standpoint i I think that he uh you know obviously would need some injuries to to really force his way onto the major league roster but Sometimes weird things happen in the course of a long baseball season. So you never know. And I think I also look to David Schneider, who's at AAA mm-hmm. and who's putting up really, really good numbers. Um, I thought he could have been a candidate to call or to join the Blue Jays on a call-up even once Brendan Belt was injured, but they went to Horwitz, who was on the 40-man roster already. And Horwitz did well for himself in that brief time in the major leagues. So 
I could see Schneider being someone that they go to. Davis Schneider, that is. No relation to John. And, uh, you know, that's that's another name to keep an eye on. But I think Arelvis is putting himself in that discussion as well. Yeah, Davis Schneider. He's like a little guy, but he, he hits for, for power somehow. I, I don't know how he does that. Um, before I let you go, th- this, this blocking the plate thing is, is getting out of hand. I mean... I guess it's 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 happened in what back-to-back days or at least a couple of times this this week that the Rangers and the Padres have had managers ejected because of ridiculous overturned calls at the plate where it was ruled that the catcher was blocking the plate when in fact I mean there to my eye there was a lane allowed uh we've seen this happen for the Blue Jays they had a series against the Twins right like wasn't that last year yeah. Gary Sanchez was involved in that one too the, I I feel like we've forgotten why this rule is in place. It's to prevent collisions between the runner and the catcher. Like if if the the collision's not taking place, like why is this even reviewable? I, I this feels like an easy fix to me, Ben. Yeah, I agree. I think this is something that Major League Baseball should look at because you know even more broadly, you don't want unnecessary challenges. You don't want the game slowed down. You don't want the discussion around Major League Baseball to be about, you know, this rule that really makes no sense. And it's really counterintuitive. And I think to anyone who's watching those games, it's clear that the runner has a safe um, and fair pathway to home plate. And so, you know, it's not like the catcher is blocking it unfairly. It's not like there's an injury that's around the corner. It's pretty obvious that this rule isn't serving anyone. No one benefits from this rule. It's not like there's someone, I mean, in the moment, yes, one team benefits, but like, Broadly, this isn't a rule that benefits anyone. So it should be changed. Um, I expect Major League Baseball has already received a number of uh, uh, prompts from around the league to to reconsider this and to look at this. And I hope they do because really the conversation should be about, you know, Shohei Otani who struck out 12 Dodgers the other day and what's going to happen with him. And, you know, any time that we spend talking about lanes to the plate, you know, unless it's a player safety thing, in which case it's time well spent. But if it's not a player safety thing, it's totally uh, unnecessary for us to spend really. And, and this is I think it's now it's an interesting topic. But like broadly, you don't want the conversation around your game to be about this rule. No, it's insane. It's, it's truly, truly insane that somebody. And I, again, like this, this happened. I, I remember having this the same conversation a year ago and wondering why the rule wasn't changed then. It hasn't been. I don't know. Maybe. Because it's uh, it, with a couple more notable franchises in the in the Padres and the Rangers, maybe that's going to spur the, the the need for change here. But it seems like an obvious and easy fix. Ben, uh, enjoy the rest of your off day. Thank you, sir. You got it. Thanks, Ben. Have a good show. All right. It's almost over, but thanks. It's Ben Nicholson-Smith, the At The Letters podcast. He should have at that point said, hope you had a great show. Or like, you did have a great show. Because I'm sure he was listening for the first hour and a half before he jumped on. Um, yeah, stupid rule. It's an obvious one to change. I, I, what player that's been playing in the last decade in Major League Baseball even thinks about running over the catcher anymore anyways, right? Like, I think that that has been bred out of the game. That the natural instinct is not to barrel into the catcher. I mean, how long ago was the Buster Posey broken leg? 15 years ago? It feels like forever. How long has he been retired for? Anyways, stupid. It's annoying. It's frustrating. Um, But maybe we won't see it again. Uh, We won't see the Blue Jays today at all. Because they have an off day before playing the hapless Oakland A's tomorrow at Rogers Center. 
maybe tomorrow's the day that Vlad finally hits a home run at home. Uh, NBA draft tonight. Maybe the Raptors do a thing. We'll see. We'll break it down tomorrow. But coming up next, Blair and Barker. I'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.